Hey everyone, I have a time-sensitive announcement to share with you. Earlier this month, LifeSite was hit with another online censorship attack, this time on TikTok, after publishing the truth about the corrupt administration in the United States. In fact, LifeSite is still permanently banned on Facebook, and our main YouTube channel was wiped out, which is why we are only on the John Henry Weston Show YouTube channel. So, this is because the prince of this world hates the truth, and we at LifeSite are committed to bringing you the fullness of the truth even if the globalists and atheists don't want you to hear it. To help us push forward with our truth-telling mission, I urge you to join us during this special Advent and Christmas season with your prayers and almsgiving. Help us at LifeSite build a culture of life for you, your children, your grandchildren, in the face of massive opposition. By uniting your prayers and your giving with us at LifeSite, you promote our pro-life and pro-family mission of building a culture of life around the world. In fact, when you support LifeSite, I urge you to write a prayer in our comment box. It's a perfect way to infuse your prayer and almsgiving with a charity like LifeSite that you can trust, knowing that we will personally read and pray over all your intentions. We need your prayers and almsgiving now more than ever. We at LifeSite must reach our end-of-the-year fundraising goal, and we have no corporate sponsor, which makes LifeSite's grassroots support from people like you miraculous. So please, as you listen to today's interview, click in the donation link at the top in the description of this video and offer your almsgiving and prayer to LifeSite News. This is the moment we need all of our viewers, even first-time viewers. Join the mission for life, faith, family, and freedom with LifeSite. Join us now with a financial gift of any amount by clicking the first link in the description below and be a force for good in the world. Also, don't forget to pray with your financial gift. Every little bit helps. So thank you, and may God bless you. We're turning the child into a commodity, and the child is always a gift. And the difficulty about a gift is that we cannot force it. And it's terribly hard to understand, you know, why sometimes this is not working out. Um, but we're not doing anybody any favor by sort of forcing it and, and thereby actually sinning against, grievously against the child. Um, even though, you know, once the child is there, you know, of course we should love it. And I'm sure that lots of IVF parents are wonderful parents, you know, leaving aside the nature of the conception. Um, I think the real kind of medical method that should help them is one that helps them have a child naturally, not replace them, which is what IVF is doing. There has been an explosion of infertility of late, and that trend looks like it's going to continue. You ever wonder what you're supposed to say with two people experiencing infertility or what you can do if you are? Well, we've got an expert with us, someone who both has experienced infertility for some nine years of her marriage, and she's now got a child, but she's a doctor of philosophy as well. She's just released a book. It's called When Expecting Doesn't Happen, Turning Infertility into a Journey of Hope. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned.
Dr. Marie Meany, welcome to the program. Thank you. So good to be here with you, John Henry. Let's begin as we always do at the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So, Marie, I've actually known you for many, many years, but it's been many years since we've been able to speak. Um, you've now written this book on infertility. Tell us what led you to write this book and uh, what are your, you know, what motivated you to bring it out right now? You know, we suffered from infertility for many years. Once we got married, we weren't expecting any problems and it hit us as a big surprise that it was difficult. And, um, and it also surprised me at how painful it was. You know, I didn't expect it to be so heart-wrenching. Now, not everybody experiences it as badly as that. There are basically three groups of people, though, who those who don't mind at all, those for whom it's, you know, it's, it's a suffering, it's a burden, and those who are absolutely crushed by it. And, and I was one of them. And I know a lot of other people who are also crushed by this, this thing. So it's, it's nothing unusual. And though um, my husband and I always accepted the teaching of the church and found it, you know, very helpful, I felt that there's nothing to help me just go getting day by day by day through this with not knowing whether we'd ever have children. And I thought I wanted to write something for couples to help them, uh, give them a sense that what they're going through is not unusual, and they're not going crazy, um, that this is really difficult. Um, also avoid the kind of dead ends that I, I, I ended up in while trying to do the best thing, of course, and also helping friends and family because often those surrounding the couple suffering from infertility don't know what to do or say and end up doing and saying exactly the wrong thing. So I made one chapter in, them, in that book is addressed to them and will hopefully help them navigate this, these difficult waters. Definitely. And I think, especially since we hear the numbers of people experiencing infertility is going up, we want to be ready for this because this is happening. A lot of people are already in the situation. And um, maybe we can start with, what do you say? Because that is a, that's a great challenge. And I know oftentimes people trying to be helpful can say some things that are nonetheless very hurtful. So um, so what to say and do as, as a friend or family member is what you're asking. Well, first of all, don't feel that you have to bring up the topic. Actually, do not bring up the topic. Um, at most, you can say, if you're close, you know, I just want to tell you that I'm here for you if ever you want to talk about it. And, and, and don't get any further than that. Even if you have up your sleeve some great medical method or you think you just have the right word for that person, better not to say anything. It's so painful. So many people are already talking to one about it and one just wants a little bit of peace and quiet. Um, the other thing is once you get into a discussion if the, the couple or one of the spouses opens up to you, um, don't feel like you have to fix it because you can't. Uh, you, of course, you'd love to, you'd want to help the other person. You love to get them from the cross and in all likelihood, nothing you, that you will say will do that. Um, there is probably no easy fix, medically speaking, and you can't just sort of say something that will make the couple sort of skip and dance away and say everything is fine. So, um, and finally, in terms of, of another big no is don't be curious for the reasons of infertility. Um, it just feels very yucky to have people approach you and wanting to figure out, is it you? Is it your husband? Is it, you know, what's going on? Um, and um, and the, as a fourth note, at the same time, don't feel like you have to walk on eggshells, which is more easily said than done. But the main thing is that that can carry you through this uh, is a key term, and that is compassion. Compassion, which comes from patty to suffer, and this is suffering 
with. So what you can, can you do when people are suffering tremendously, that was valid for all kinds of suffering is being under the cross with them, like the blessed mother and St. John. Um, and that means not being able to do much, but just being there. And you know what, being there and not trying to fix it is tremendous because it means you can let go. You can confine, you feel the warmth of love. You feel you can just unburden yourself and somebody else is just there to say, you know, I am so sorry. I am so sorry you are going through this. And we know from the book of Job that his friends are doing the wrong thing when they come and basically tell him why he is suffering. You know, that's another thing. After a while, you know, the couple just doesn't seem to be moving on. And why is this taking so long? And such and such is going through much worse suffering. So why aren't you? Well, this is less than helpful. You know, everybody has their own pace. Everybody has their journey. God has his plan. And perhaps this couple is just taking a very long time and perhaps it gets until the rest of their lives. I hope not, but that might be. And it's not for me to determine when they should be at this new spot where it will be easier. So I'm not there to tell them why they're suffering infertility. I'm there to be a Simon of Serene to them and help them carry this cross. And if I do that, I will have done a real true work of mercy and help them along. And that that's interesting to hear. A lot of people think, and I think it's particularly true of men, I, just being there, I'm, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm just there. Yeah, I know. It's really hard. And that's also what's part of the struggle of the couple. The woman and the man are dealing with the suffering very differently. And um, if you don't pay attention, then on top of this big suffering, you have a marriage crisis on your hands, which mm. is the last thing you want. But um, I think it's very important for the couple to work through it, to talk through it, and to realize that the other is processing things very differently. So for the husband, I'd say it's very important for him to realize, you know, I can't do anything. This is tremendously frustrating for me, but by listening, by allowing my wife to cry on my shoulder, I am really helping her. And it may seem that we're going over the same ground again and again, but if that's what she needs, and if I can take it, I mean, you know, everybody needs a break, but if you can take it, then, then you're doing a tremendous job towards your wife. This is just wonderful. And as a wife, I'd say, you know, be aware of how difficult this is for your husband. He would love to fix it. He can't. And he may be suffering just as much as you are, but he's not able to express it. And perhaps he doesn't even want to talk about it, which is okay too. You know, respect his wish, but show him that if he wants to talk about it, if he wants to cry on your shoulder, then that's fine too. And uh, you know, tell to the other what you need. So often it's so helpful to have your spouse come along with you to the doctor's appointments, You know, sitting in the waiting room with all these other women who are heavily pregnant and you're not, and you're getting another bit of bad news of why this is not working out. Well, you know, tremendous thing for the husband to be there and, and help us through this. Or if the doctor is pushing IVF on you um, and you're already in a very weak position emotionally, <laughs> then having your husband there as your protector is, is tremendous. So there's a lot that, there's lots that can be done. And if you feel that you're going into crisis mode, you know, go, go and see a good priest, go and see a, a Christian counselor. Don't, don't let this become uh, a major crisis. Just a quick note before we return. If you would like to stay up to date on LifeSite's coverage of the latest life, family, and culture news, subscribe to one of our many newsletters by going to lifesitenews.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to help us bring our truth-telling coverage to millions around the world, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation at give.lifesitenews.com. And now, back to the video. So, you mentioned IVF and... I think most of the world thinks this is the panacea solution for any infertility problem. Tell us about IVF. Um, why do you say that you shouldn't use it? 
Yeah, it, it's so sad, John, isn't it? Because uh, that is offered to couples at the, as the only solution almost. You know, oh, you've got a problem? Well, let's just do IVF and you'll have a baby. Well, first of all, that's not true. Um, though things are better now than they were, let's say, 10, 20 years ago, in terms of the technology, you still only, only have a 36% rate. So about one third of a chance to have a baby in your arms after having gone through a grueling process. You know, even people who are fine with it, otherwise, ethically, Nobody says this is this is like a, a walk in the park. It's it's really it's terrible for the woman for the hormones that she needs to take the retrieval of the of the of the eggs for the husband to masturbate in in the room probably watching porn which you know in itself is so goes so much against his dignity his marriage the child they're trying to conceive. Um, and, and then ultimately also for the child, you know, what a terrible thing to be conceived in a lab. And if you read the witnesses of uh, adults who were conceived as children in, in the situation, they say um, how painful it is for them to think that it was, they were conceived in a lab and that their fate was decided by technicians. You know, what a difference to being conceived in the loving, loving and hopefully loving embrace of your parents, you know, safely nestled in the womb of your mother from the beginning rather than having te technicians then decide well, this one looks good. I guess we'll let that one survive. This one we're going to discard. Doesn't look good. These were going to freeze. Um, no wonder that many of them are experiencing survivor's guilt because why were they chosen and not their their siblings? You know, they must prove themselves, or they just throw up their arms in despair and and go into depression. Things is just too 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 heavy of a burden to bear. So this is just sort of the giving just a little taste of of what is associated with all of us. But you know, why why is the church against this? Well. As I was trying already to point out, it goes against the dignity of the child and of the couple and of their marriage. And, you know, we are so sensitive today about what a child needs. We sing to our children in the womb. We make sure that we're not undergoing any shock, any trauma, because we know how sensitive the child is. And somehow its conception is not relevant. Um, we're turning the child into a commodity and the child is always a gift. And the difficulty about a gift is that we cannot force it. And it's terribly hard to understand, you know, why sometimes this is not working out. Um, but we're not doing anybody any favor by sort of forcing it and, and thereby actually sinning against grievously against the child. Um, even though, you know, once the child is there, you know, of course we should love it. And I'm sure that lots of IVF parents are wonderful parents, you know, leaving aside the nature of the conception. Um, I think the real kind of medical method that should help them is one that helps them have a child naturally, not replace them, which is what IVF is doing. They're just, you know, producing the child on the side and implanting it the woman and hoping it's going to stick. That's the thing, you know, everybody, I think even those who go for IVF, which, for, for IVF, sorry, would much rather just have a child the natural way. And there are other methods, like I think the by now well-known Dr. Hilges with his Crate Method, Napro Technology, who has a much higher success rate than IVF and who tries to heal the couple. So um, I think... The, you know, the church is wrongly interpreted as putting burdens in us just for the heck of making our lives harder. On the contrary, it's trying to show us the laws of life, the path of life, and turning uh, a child into a commodity, using another person in that way is just against that person's dignity and leaves tyrannous wounds. Um, I was very struck once when I read another testimony by an IVF conceived um, now adult who said, you know, my my mother was not willing to carry the suffering and she's now passed it on to me. 
And in a way, I'd say it's even worse than that because infertility, it's a natural tragedy. It's terrible. You know, it's, it's awful. It's like any kind of sickness that can really strike you and change your life for good. Um, but there's no sin involved. It's just, it just happens. And my deciding that I wanted to do IVF to have my child means I'm instrumentalizing my child and I am potentially inflicting a grievous wound on my child. Now, whether that manifests itself or not, I have de facto sinned against the child. You know, whether the child is aware of it or not, whether there are any repercussions along the way. And I think often there are, even if there are not as many studies out there as we would like, because it's simply not a very top popular topic. But on the positive end, I'd say to people who are struggling with infertility and who don't have any kids so far, they can act as parents without having children. Because what does a parent do? A parent wants the best for their children. And that means not doing anything dramatic that would grievously wound that child. That would be a sin against the child. So by deciding, I'd rather not have a child than have it through IVF, I am actually acting like a parent. You know, and God has made us tremendous promises about the sterile woman who will be the mother of many. And we don't know exactly what that will look like in the afterlife. But we know that God keeps his promises and that somehow we will be having babies on our laps and, and be the parents of many. And, and that's a way of doing it, even if unfortunately and heartbreakingly, you may not have this in this life. Now, as you mentioned there, Dr. Hilder's various technologies that assist with reproduction, but natural reproduction. In other words, the child is still conceived in that marital union between the husband and wife um, are actually more successful than IVF. But to the great shame of much of the medical community, it's not offered. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I've heard Dr. Hill just speak about it um, also at the, at the Vatican conference and saying that really in terms of success rates, we're not better off now than we were in the 50s. You know, it's simply that the whole industry has gone full steam into this one technology, mainly IVF, and hasn't looked at anything else. And it's a tremendous industry. That means there's a lot of money involved in this. So it's really um, a big plus for the doctors who are involved in this. And um so they don't have much reason to look anywhere else. And um, and so Dr. Hilger is sidelined and you hear about him more sort of in pro-life circles and Catholic circles. Um, but he made some tremendous discoveries. You know, he, he found out that women who have endometriosis, even if they have just a little bit of endometriosis, uh, that can that can influence their fertility significantly and that needs to be taken care of and he's developed a method of doing that sur surgically which is now so sophisticated that it doesn't leave any scars anymore and he's been able to help so many couples and he's um yeah developed also something for the infertility of men so he's just looking at it holistically and you know going for treatment uh, for infertility is never easy even if you go this kind of route but you feel you're just you're treated as a person and your dignity is being respected and um you know he, he's doing his best and um he's just been the means of so bringing about so many babies the natural way mm -hmm. one of the things that people don't talk about much is suffering and how to endure suffering. And if you get into that, I know you talk about that in your book. I thought that was fascinating. 
suffering, mourning, it sounds, it, it sounds so negative, but, um, you know, that, that was one of the dead ends that I reached. I thought, well, we have to be courageous. That's being heroic. That's being virtuous. And I didn't realize that by being, trying to be too courageous in a sense, or courageous at the cost of mourning, I was preventing myself from, from actually accepting this cross, from grieving properly, from being able, therefore, to go through this um, journey and not getting stuck on it. Because, um, you know, mourning means I'm really, I'm allowing myself to face this sadness. And, um, and it can be overwhelming. Um, at the same time, trying all the time to run away from it, being by trying to be courageous, throwing myself into work, uh, as important as it is to, you know, go on with your life and not just sit at home and mope. Um, it is very important, I think, to allow oneself to grieve. And this, I mean, this is just generally known today. People who go through any kind of loss nowadays would realize no, they have to grieve. And infertility has been compared to um, experiencing the death of a child. It's just a child you've never met, you've never had in your arms, who's perhaps never been conceived. And, and it's just as heartbreaking. And so we don't expect parents who, let's say, just lost their three-year-old to sort of skip and jump through life. Um, and nor should we expect that from ourselves who are experiencing infertility. So um, I think we need to be aware that again and again, we will have moments where we really need to cry our heart out, <laughs> um, go to our spouse, go to a close friend, go to a priest, go to Christ in the Eucharist and know that he is there with us. Um, what really helped me was um, reading about Mother Teresa's spirituality and um, her uh, talking about the thirst of Christ for us and the thirst for that dark part, this dark part of our hearts or our souls, where we feel it's just too painful for him to go in, either because it's sinful or painful or both. And um, Mother Teresa called us, those are inner Calcuttas, and Christ is desiring tremendously to enter those, and because he's the only one who ultimately can heal them. Other human beings can go in to a certain point through love, but only Christ can know, who knows us inside out can go that deep. And so to allow him to come in and heal us is, I've, I found it very, very powerful. And, um, and also giving yourself time. So, you know, I was speaking about compassion. So patience, patience has to do with suffering. It has to do with mourning. And um, therefore just taking also one step at a time when I would think, what is it going to be like, you know, to be infertile in two years, three years, 10 years, you know, being old, it was too much. Uh, it was just drive, driving me crazy. I couldn't bear that. Also, because we're not given the grace now for how it's going to be in 30 years, we're given the grace for now. And so when I realized, no, all I have to do is accept the infertility for this moment, just for this moment, not even for tomorrow, just for now. Somehow that made it possible because before that it was like, well, I have to accept that I'm not ever going to have any children. And I can't say yes to that. I want children desperately. So no, God is not asking me to do that. He asks me to say yes to it just for now. And, um, 
And I thought that was was tremendously helpful. I also, I don't know, um, I'm sure you've heard about this wonderful Italian woman, uh, Chiara Corbella, who died like 10 years ago um, at the age of 27. And um, she had a very tragic history. She got married young. Her first child was severely handicapped, uh, as she found out while she was expecting and was going to die soon after birth. And she, her husband, of course, decided against abortion. They had the child. They baptized it. They loved it for two hours and then died and then she got pregnant again and the same thing happens completely different condition and and again and each time they thought they would, would be completely heartbroken and they were but at the same time with a surprise at how much inner joy with how much inner joy they were felt this is of course a grace it's not something you can't you set up yourself for god sometimes lets some go through dark night of the soul like mother Teresa, with no joy you know no experience sense of experience of joy and others like Kamala and her husband uh, they were given this grace and then when she was expecting a third time um she developed the kind of cancer that only old men who smoked all their lives get and she never smoked and she was a young woman and she didn't want to put the child at risk and so she didn't take any treatment that would hurt the child and then she gave birth to the child and got treatment but she died within a year and as she was dying, her husband said, um, you know, Christ says that our cross is light. Uh, do you think the cross is light? And she says, oh, it's dolce, the, the cross is, is sweet. And um, he said they were able to do this by doing piccoli passi, doing little steps every day, just taking on what was expected of them and not more. And thereby they were able to climb a spiritual Mount Everest. And I'm pretty sure she's going to be canonized. And I think our husband is not far behind her in holiness, but he's still alive, so we can't canonize him yet. Um, but these people are so inspiring, you know, as, as we're struggling through our dark night of the soul, and perhaps God isn't, isn't giving us these kind of these kind of graces, but he's with us just as much. A lot of people, when they hear about infertility, they speak right away about adoption. How does that figure in? Um, you know, again, it's not something you just should bring up with the infertile couple because um, it's a vocation as well. And not every couple suffering from infertility feels called to this in the first place. And some have to learn that. I had friends, they tried to adopt five times and every time it fell through, like at the last minute, suddenly the mother decided differently. So it was tremendous suffering for them. You know, first the infertility, then not not working out and then eventually they, they figured out that god was calling them to something else so in a way it feels a little bit when people bring that up like they're trying to sideline you to you know step away from your pain and again they're just trying to find a solution which sure i mean adopting is a wonderful thing to do and and a lot of couples are so happy uh to have adopted children whom they love just as much as as they would their their biological children but you know every couple even those that have adopted would have loved to to go through pregnancy and give birth to their child. And, and adoption doesn't replace that. Um, so again, it's something I would, um, I would not bring up. And you know, guess what? I think the couple is thinking about it themselves. Mm -hmm. What do you make? There are a, probably a, a good number of, of young women today who talk about, I never, ever want to get pregnant. Um, those who say, I don't want to get pregnant because that would be a harm to the environment, or I'm just, why would I ever get pregnant? That's just horrible. What's your thought on them? Wow. It's sad, isn't it? Terrible. Um, I think they've just been given the wrong model, haven't they, for too long? I mean, um, 
they've been fed the lie that, um, you know, success in their job is the meaning of life in a way. That's how they imagine themselves. That's presented as, you know, the happy woman is the one who's successful. Everybody admires her and they take admiration for love. And often only when it's too late, do they realize that it's not the same and they pass childbearing age. So, um, I think, and because there are so few examples now of women around with children and, and they often see them as well. Those are the ones who are stuck at home. Well, I mean, A, there are lots of women who do work and have children. So it is possible, even though, yes, it, it is harder. And if success is the most important thing in your life, then, then a child will make things harder for you. But I think, um, Women are, are really by nature I, so tuned in um, to personal relationships. I mean, Edith Stein makes that clear. They're more like like the men. And, um, and why do they want to be successful? Because they think that way they will get the love they're craving. You know, it's kind of, it's an azatz, it's a replacement for. So if they took a little bit of time to think about it, well, what do they really want? You know, you always end that mad goose chase of, you know, getting through college, getting the best grades, getting the best job, and, you know, and each time you get that and you realize it's not enough, well, guess what? That's just going to continue. Do you really want to continue that rat race? And, and, and what do you really want? Well, if you really want love, then love comes by giving love. And, you know, John Paul too was so wonderful in explaining how we're, we're really made for love and whatever our calling is, whether it's marriage or the religious life or, or the single life in some way, we're always called to get for self. So if happiness is what you want, then that's the route you need to choose. But um, it's true that young women just need to see more, more women who are happy at being mothers. Sure, they're tired and they have their issues like everybody else. But boy, do I know a lot of women who are so happy at being mothers. <laughs> and I, you know, after nine years, I finally had a baby, my husband and I, and I decided to stop um, teaching full time at university. And, you know, on one level, that was hard. And on the other, I'm so glad and I wouldn't, wouldn't want to miss it. You know, it, it could never, never cover that. My job could never cover that emptiness of, of not having a child in arms. Wow. 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 Dr. Marie Mina, thank you so much for being us. Where can people find your book? So it's uh, Emmaus has published it, so you can get it from their website and then the usual suspects like Amazon, of course, so I don't like to promote them. <laughs> but Emmaus, yes, is, is the place to go to. Beautiful. Beautiful. Dr. Marie Mini, thank you so much for being with us and God bless you. God bless. Thank you, John Henry. And God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time. Every single day, there are new developments in the culture war. You need to stay on top of the news from the front lines around the world. At LifeSite, it's actually our mission to serve you the truth on life, faith, family, and freedom so that you can be an effective soldier for Christ. Subscribe now and never miss an important development in the culture war that you need to know about, all from a faithful Catholic perspective. And check out the links below to get involved with our reporting and our pro-life partners. Thank you and God bless you.